Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What is God's kingdom? If we're going to pray for his kingdom to come, it might be good to know what it is. And it might be good to know when it's coming, or if it's already here. Lead teacher Randy Pope points us to target number two, God's kingdom, with part three of Ready, Aim, Pray, which covers Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Thank you for joining us today. There are probably few subjects that are as fascinating and, and really uh, intriguing maybe to the Christian community and beyond than that of prayer. There's something about prayer for Christians. There's that sense of, of wonder and awe saying, you hear this many times from many great Christian leaders, I think prayer is the key that unlocks the power of God in one's life. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite commentators, he put it this way. He said, prayer is the highest activity of the human heart and the ultimate test of its true condition. Among non-believers, they are enamored and threatened by prayer. Enamored, I, on a number of occasions, I'll say to a waiter or a waitress as he or she is waiting at the table where I'm eating and say, we're going to pray in a few minutes. Is there, is there any prayer request that we could pray when we do for you? We'd love to include any prayer request you have. I've actually had someone begin crying and say, I've never had anybody make such a request. That, that's the most meaningful thing. I can't believe you pray for me. And it means the world to some people just to be prayed for. They're enamored by the idea that my name is being lifted up to God by somebody else. I know that many people are threatened by prayer. You know that there are many, many a lawsuit taking place right now from parents who are so offended and threatened by the fact that their child has somehow been exposed at school or elsewhere. They've been exposed to someone praying. And they say, you stop that now, we'll sue you for doing that. People are in prison today all over the world simply because they were caught praying to who they would call the living God. And governments don't want that. They say, uh-uh, you stay away from that. Isn't that interesting? It's just prayer. I've used stories and illustrations where I'm talking to someone and, and they don't believe in God, they don't believe in prayer, and, and all I have to do is just say, well, then you don't mind if I start praying for utter misery in your life. And they go, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> because there's an intrigue. There's something about prayer. People say, I'm not sure, but I... I think it's a pretty uh, amazing thing, whatever it is. Well, many of us find that it's as frustrating as it is intriguing. And so what's happened in our prayer lives, for many of us, it's, it's kind of in some way uh, degenerated, I guess. Degenerated into maybe a shopping list of requests and thoughts and ideas that we have before God. And we tell him, this is what I'd like. And would you do this? And would you do this? And, and then we kind of spice it up a little bit with a few I'm sorry prayers and a few thank you prayers. And there's our prayer life right there. And we know there's got to be more. Well, I think that was what was happening with the disciples. Last week, we talked about some of the things they observed when Jesus began to pray and the power of his prayers. And so we're not surprised that one of the disciples said to him on their behalf, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? 
And what he said in response has now been a blessing to the church through its history. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer. I like to think of the Lord's Prayer as being a prayer that has five targets that we're going to aim at to be able to see accomplished what we want to see accomplished in prayer. Another way we can think of it is platforms, that there are certain platforms. You see, I don't think the prayer was ever given by Jesus with intention. Now, here's the way you pray. Quote this one. Here's the way you pray. Quote it. Nothing wrong with quoting it. It's a good memory tool. But the idea is take the memory tool of the prayer called the Lord's Prayer and step out on different platforms. And there are five such platforms. We talked week one. We said it's important that we understand why pray. So we talked about that. But then we move into how do we pray? And we talk about that, well, there are five different, I'll call them platforms or targets that we want to aim at when we're praying. But before you get there, know that you need to prepare well. So we spent a good bit of time talking about the salutation, the salutation, our Father who art in heaven. And I suggested that it might be better to spend one or two minutes in preparation and have four or five minutes in prayer than it may be to have 30 minutes, no prep, but praying the rest of the balance of the time. Preparation, very important. So we talked about it and how you get prepared, made it very practical. Then we started looking at the first target. So we stepped out on this platform, and the platform has to do with God's honor. Our Father who art in heaven, now hallowed be your name. How do we hallow his name? So we talked about that and gave you some practical ideas. How can I spend a few minutes kind of standing on this platform of prayer, and where do I go on that platform? Where does it take me? Now we turn our attention to target number two, so we're going to move on a different platform. We spent a few minutes praying perhaps there. Now I can say, now I want to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what did he mean by that? What's the, what's the purpose of that platform? Well, first of all, I want to say that kingdom is perhaps one of the most important terms in all of the New Testament. You will find it interesting as you read the New Testament that as you read, you're going to see the word come up over and over and over again and more times with Jesus referring to it than the other apostles, though they talked about it much as well. But, I mean, Jesus seemed to be obsessed with this idea of kingdom and kingdom and kingdom and kingdom. But at the same time, I am amazed how few Christians today have any real understanding of kingdom. Some of the greatest theologians of the world who take all of the Scriptures and help us understand the Scriptures say, if you want to embrace the, the Scriptures as a whole to really get a clear understanding of what's happening in the Bible, you've got to understand the concept of kingdom. So many will build their entire systematic theology around kingdom. Understand kingdom, understand the Bible. Don't understand kingdom, never really understand much of the Bible. So this is important subject matter. I've made it somewhat of a staple of my teaching ministry. I want to keep bringing it up, bringing it up. I talked to someone after the last service, and they said uh, they were talking about, you know, the meaningful, how meaningful it was helpful, and so forth and so on. And I said, well, I'm always afraid that it's too complicated. This is a very complicated subject matter. And, and, and they said, well... Maybe it wasn't for me because I've heard it several times in discipleship. In fact, we're coming back on this subject matter in a couple of weeks in our, in our journey groups. And so I think that's good. The more we hear it, the more we begin to kind of get a little bit more understanding. But what I'm hoping is we start thinking kingdom more. When we wake up 
When we start the day, does kingdom come to mind as the Bible uses the word kingdom? So it's my task to try to make something very complicated here, as simple as I can, but it doesn't mean it's going to be simple because there's a lot of mystery. Jesus talked about it over and over. I kind of say to Jesus, Jesus, you didn't make this simple. You kind of gave us a little bit of hint here, a little hint there, and, but I think you want us to explore in this realm of kingdom. Then we know how to pray, thy kingdom come. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at one primary text uh, in the, or maybe two primary texts in the book of Revelation. So you can kind of flip over in that direction, and we're going to be uh, actually looking at chapter 12. But I want to lay a foundation for what we're going to read in chapter 12. I want us to, I want us to understand three requirements necessary to, uh, to really understand how to pray this prayer about the kingdom. And so the first, we'll put it on the screen, it's in your outline. It goes like this. To effectively hit the second target... We must have a biblical understanding of God's kingdom. So let me give you a definition of God's kingdom. This is my own definition, but I think it's fairly consistent with other teachings that we would respect. The kingdom of God is the reign of Christ the King in the lives of his kingdom people, which grows extensively broader and intensively deeper. Now, as we begin to understand this concept of the kingdom, we'll be able to pray better about his kingdom coming. But we've got to understand, what about this kingdom? Why would we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Now, there's another kingdom in this world. It's the kingdom of the world, and it's, it's led by a different king, and that's their king, Satan. So let me give you a, a, just a definition of the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world is the reign of Satan in the lives of natural people. Natural people refer to anyone who's not a spiritual person. It may be a religious, moral type person, but, but not really a child of God. Therefore, they would be considered in the kingdom of the world. So everybody is in one of two kingdoms. Keep that in mind. Now, having shared that much, let me suggest three truths about this kingdom that will give us a better understanding. The first one is the most complex Take a little longer. Hang on because this is important to some, get some kind of understanding of this. The kingdom of God came to earth in unique proportion at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Big deal. I mean, okay, so what? Wherever it came, whenever it came, does it really matter? It really does matter. And I don't have the time and we can't go into all the implications of if it didn't come at this time at the end of his ministry. If the kingdom has not yet come, if the kingdom has already come prior to Jesus, the implications are numerous. But I want you just to understand that it did come at the end, and I'll give you just a few of those implications. So I'm going to share with you just a, a few verses without putting them on the screen. I'm going to just kind of tell you about a handful of verses. If you want to write down these verses, you're fine to do that. Uh, you can go to, uh, I think, the resources online as you go through our website. You can get the messages, and I think it also has a, a side with all the, the verses listed and so forth. But, but in Mark 1, there's an interesting text where John had been taken into captivity, and Jesus came into Galilee was preaching. And this is what he said as he was preaching the gospel, as it says, it says, the time is fulfilled. This is what Jesus says. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
That had to strike the audience as a little odd. The kingdom of God is at hand? This is the beginning of his teaching ministry, but it's the beginning of the end because now he is in his last three years of life and he's beginning his teaching ministry. In Mark 9, verse 1, Jesus was uh, talking there and he said to some of the people with him, he said, by the way, do you know that some of you, some of you will be alive when the kingdom of God comes? Meaning that Apparently, whenever this, whatever this kingdom of God coming is, it's going to be in the lifetime of the people living right then, at least some of them. In Mark 15, verse 43, this is the story of Joseph of Arimathea, and he was the one who took the body of Jesus, asked for Pilate, or, you know, could he take the body of Jesus and so forth. But it says that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. He had some insight that the kingdom was about to come. This is his now when Jesus has now died and the kingdom, he thinks, is about to come. In Luke chapter 10, 17 and 18, and here's the story of 70 um, uh, of the disciples. They're out, you know, sharing the story of Jesus, and they come back and they say, hey, Jesus, man, it's kind of amazing what we've been seeing happen. Something unique is happening now. What's that? Well, the demons are subject to, to your name. We just use your name. And boy, this is what happens in the demonic world around us. And he responds in affirming, yes, and this is why. And this is what he says. He says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Interesting word, fall. The word literally is from the original language to be thrown down. He said, yeah, I saw Satan being thrown down. Now, you know what many people think? They say, oh, Jesus is looking back in what we will call history past, eternity past, and saw when the good angel Lucifer, you know, became a bad angel and got cast out of the heavens. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about something radically different than that. In John chapter 12, in the 31st verse, it tells us that Jesus makes this comment to Philip and Andrew. They've come to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus... We're out, you know, talking about you to the Jewish people and so forth. And, and some of the Gentiles have come along, and they want to follow you too. We didn't know really what to say to them. Did we tell them, yay, nay, what, what's the deal with these Gentiles if they want to follow? And here's the interesting response that he says. He says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be, and the word is cast out. It's the same word thrown down. This isn't something that happened in history past, eternity past. This is something that has happened now. He's being thrown out. Now, in the book of Revelation 12 that I've asked you to turn to, there's an allegory type of story being told in the book of Revelation. It's an interesting story in that it's the story of a woman who's about to give birth to a child. And as soon as the child is given birth, that there's a great dragon, and the dragon seeks to devour the child, but is unsuccessful. It's a male child. Unsuccessful in devouring the child because the child is snatched up to the throne of God, and now the woman is being persecuted, and she has to flee for her life into the wilderness. 
But while she's in the wilderness for 1260 days, it says that God nourishes her. Interesting text. Now, we understand it when we realize that, well, the woman is the church. And the son is Jesus Christ. Given to the, to the people of God is the Christ. But the evil one, the great dragon, Satan, he tries to devour. We know the story of Herod and trying to kill the Melbournes. But he's caught up. There's the resurrection to the throne of God. Now the woman has to flee. The church is in, now having to live in the wilderness, which is the kingdoms of this world, having to live there. Amidst, um, amongst all those people. And, but God's taking care of her. 1260 days, there's a, I could show you clearly, but we don't have time. That's the gospel age. That's from now, uh, from the time Jesus dies till he comes back again, there's the gospel age. So let's read it now and see if it doesn't make sense. It reads like this, Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was called up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So there's the story as we just told it. Now, if we continue, which we will, in the book of Revelation, same, same chapter, we're going to see now that the evil one is defeated in his effort and how that looks. And all this time, trying of the kingdom comes in spite of the opposition that's at hand. So this is how it reads, and we'll explain. It says, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Think of that word deceiver. Remember that. He was thrown down. There's the word again. Thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, and listen to this, now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. How's that? Well, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love their lives even unto death now just to remember we had talked about the text where it said jesus said i'm watching satan fall as lightning from heaven or fall from heaven uh, john 12 where he says now the rule of the world shall be cast out this is the story right here telling of that he's been cast out now here's what it's telling us it's telling us that the evil one the dragon and his demonic hosts 
are in the heavenlies. Well, wait, I thought he's been cast down from creation. Many of you know the Bible story, how a good angel became a bad angel and the host that went with him, his demons, the devil and his demons. Not fairy tale, by the way, for you that are, and let me tell you, there's plenty of evidence to give us realities of a demonic world today, I'll assure you. But that was that story. This is a different thing. Well, but wait, he's in heaven here. He shouldn't be in heaven. He was cast down from heaven. I know. But go back to Job. What happened in Job? Was not Satan there in that dialogue talking to God? Sure he was. Old Testament days. And he's talking to God and saying, this is what I'm doing. He will do this. If I do this to him, he'll do that. He's bringing accusation there. But the bigger accusation is the accusation that he's making about you and me even, all of his supposedly elect, his people that would be his people. And he's able to stand before God and say, you have not redeemed them. You can say they're yours. You claim them as yours, but they're not going to be yours. They'll be mine because they will not be redeemed. And that was the plan through Herod. We'll just devour the child, and then we don't have any redeemer on earth to even, even be able to keep the promise that God had made of a redeemer. Now, Satan assumed he could stop all that. And so he's accusing us, saying, you know what you, you say about your your child, John, he's not redeemed yet. So he's accusing day and night. Now, it also calls him the deceiver. And the deceiver is thrown down. And something's going to happen to that deceiver that's going to keep him from being able to deceive all the nations. That's what he's done in the Old Testament. He's deceived all the nations except Israel. And so with that in mind, we're going to now be able to go to the next text, which is a parallel text to what I just read. So if you skip back down, down to chapter 20, you might want to read this again later, but chapter 20 is a retelling of the same story I told in chapter 12. I personally think the reason most people can't understand Revelation is they think it's a story that begins here and it walks through the whole way to the last chapter and the story ends. It's really not what happens. I'm going to suggest what happens is the story begins here and it stops here, goes to the end. It starts again and it goes to the end. It starts again, it goes to the end. And so we got parallel texts we can read of the same events. Well, this is the exact same event. I think you'll see that when we read it. Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Because he's been cast down and he's been put in an abyss. So it says, and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. We'll talk about that in a second. Threw him into the pit, shut it, and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Do you hear that? That's what he sealed. He's, he's putting a, a restriction from being able to do. Not everything. He can roar about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Yeah, but he can't deceive the nations any longer, and he can't bring accusation against us any longer. Until the thousand years were ended, and after that, he would be released for a little while. Well, the thousand years, there's a lot of debate. It's called the millennium, and in your journey groups, you'll be talking about the uh, millennium in a week or two, depending on where you are. But I'll tell you this, the thousand years, please don't think it has to be a literal thousand years. We don't take other uses of a thousand necessarily literal. 
Uh, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What does that mean? There's just a thousand of all the millions of hills in the world that, where cattle are that he owns? No. It's a large exact number. But it's figuratively speaking to talk about a large exact number. And that's it. A thousand. So I will suggest that's the period from the beginning where Christ died until he comes back again. There's your thousand years. What's happening? He's reigning. His kingdom has now come in unique proportion. Now, just to understand the rest of the text, so you've got a little feel on it, it says, and now all the nations can come to faith. People from any tribe, nation, and tongue can come to faith, unlike the Old Testament. Anybody, Gentiles, most of us Gentiles here, we can be here because of this war in heaven. Now the door is opened to us. But it says the door is going to close again, where he's going to be released for a short time. Nobody knows how long that would be. But during that time, the Scriptures teach that it will appear even unto the elect, those that are truly his, unless it were the grace of God to keep them from being deceived, they'll begin to think that the church has lost, that the church is being annihilated, that the people of God will be gone on the face of this earth based on what's happening right now. Apparently, something really, really badly is going to be happening to the church. And we can see it already beginning to happen through history, I would suggest. But he says, but then we'll be released for a short time. And then after that short time, boom, there it comes. That's what's called Armageddon. It's just the story of the Old Testament at Armageddon where God's people seemed to be in utter defeat. And then in the last second, God came in, swooped in, and rescued the people of God. And that's what he says he's going to do to us. There's the history of the future, really, as we understand the Scripture. But all this to say, now the kingdom of God has come. That's important to know. The kingdom has come in unique proportion. It's open to Gentiles now. So when I start praying, thy kingdom come, oh my, I've got a whole new understanding of the urgency of the hour. Who knows how long? They're still open where he's not deceiving the nations and so forth. To understand that because the kingdom of God has come, that the evil one cannot accuse me before the throne of God. He cannot do that. He can accuse me. The demonic world can tell me that I'm this and I'm that. Try to convince me, but he can't say a word to God about me. The kingdom of God has come. Now, having said that, let me just show you that as you come to Scripture now, you're going to see things a little differently, perhaps. Uh, I won't put it up on the screen, but in Acts, it says that in generations gone by, past generations, he, God, permitted all the nations to go their own way. No longer the case. In Psalm 2 and 72, it says, there's a day coming when all the nations will serve him. Why? There's been a war in heaven. Look what's happened as a result of that war. Now, I want to take you to the second and third truth about the kingdom very quickly, and then we're really through the, the hard part of the, the teaching here. The kingdom of God is within believers, thus is ever growing. I just want you to know of the kingdom that the kingdom is not something out there. Don't think of it as, oh, the kingdom, the church, I guess. Well, it can be used for the church, but the kingdom here is referring to something in the lives of people. That's why you want to pray 
for God's kingdom to come the way I'm going to show you to pray. It's in the lives of people. So I won't put it up, but uh, there's an inquiring scribe that comes to Jesus. And uh, he, uh, he's asking uh, some questions, and Jesus answered me. He says, huh, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He's not saying, you know, there's three miles from here, you'll see the kingdom. He's saying, you're not far from having the kingdom come within you. There's a text in Luke 17, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And uh, they begin to ask as to when the kingdom of God would come. You know what he says? Oh, you're not going to see it in events and signs and miracles and all that. I tell you, the kingdom is in your midst. And the word there in the original language means within you. Jesus says, folks, you got to know this. The kingdom is in you. That's where the kingdom is. On another occasion in Romans 14, he's talking about the kingdom. He says, look, the kingdom, it really has to do with righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. It's something God works in the hearts of people. So just know that the kingdom is within people. Third truth to know, the kingdom of God is in constant conflict with the kingdom of this world. What that's saying is simply this, that we have, we have two, two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world, and they are going to constantly clash. So Jesus says in John 15, he says, you got to know this, the world's going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. So what happens to you students that are here? When you go into the classroom, the school place, and you start standing up for your beliefs, your convictions about truth and morality, well, a lot of people will admire you, but there will be a segment of people that are going to have it for you. They're going to say, who do you think you are? And they're going to ostracize you to some degree, more than likely. What happens to you Christian men and women who are in the marketplace? And you start standing up for integrity and truth and say, because it's not right. Well, why do you say it's not right? Well, as a Christian, I don't do that. I can't. I'm, I refuse to go that direction. People are being fired from jobs for that reason. What about women who let it be known among the peers in society today that I hold a view that I have a role with my husband and you start sharing the teaching of Scripture as to the role that you have that you love and honor and believe it's a wonderful thing, but they look at you like you're nuts. What are you thinking? Are you serious? Why would you do that? Or what about those that are single who, who let their intentions be known that, look, I have high convictions about Sexual issues, and here's what I do and don't do, and I'm sorry, and so forth. And next thing you know, the invite list for you goes down. You're not on it. It's just not going to happen. Well, it's because we're in a clash of kingdoms. And folks, that's why I suggest that, that's why I suggest that you and I should wake up in the morning and should think a little bit about the kingdom. And start realizing, I wonder what God thinks. I wonder what he thinks when he's made this clear now to us. And he says, really? You're enamored with the kingdom of the world the way you are? After the war in heaven? After the death of my son? 
and the witness of believers that's led them to martyrdom through the ages so that the kingdom of God may come on this earth and you're more enamored with the kingdom of this world? Oh, Christian, open your eyes and see what's happened. You're a part of a new people, a new kingdom. Live honorably in the kingdom. Now, it's going to affect the way we pray. You got to have the mindset before you're going to pray well. Do away with the understanding of the kingdom and try to pray for God's kingdom. I don't think it's going to be the same intensity, the same heart, the same passion, the same understanding. Draw as much as you can understand of the kingdom into this and watch what happens to your prayer life. Now, number two and number three are very brief, and I'm just going to basically read these to you. To effectively hit this second target, we must pray for God's kingdom to be extended. Now, I don't want to artificially break down, okay, this is thy kingdom come, and the next point's going to be talking about intensified, and therefore, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, the whole phrase of this target really applies to both. You're, you're praying these two things when you pray that. So the outline makes it appear a little artificial. There's a break between the two. This means this, that means... Really, the whole thing means both of these. So let's just read them, though. Effectively, at the second target, here we, we got to do. We got to pray that thy kingdom... Uh, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying for the salvation of non-kingdom people. Salvation, number two. We pray thy kingdom come when we pray for the growth of God's church. And number three, we pray thy kingdom come when we pray for the realization of a fully redeemed universe. Now, that's going to be a little bit harder to explain. Let me kind of help you understand this one. The redeemed universe is referring to that moment in time where God is going to take his church. He comes back. We're taken to be with him. What happens at the end time? And now his church has been glorified. This is what's going to happen. I want you to look at the text that I have here in Ephesians. In Ephesians, it says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, his people, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is saying all that's taking place has a purpose that one day in time, God is going to take his church, his bride, and he's going to show her off to the rulers and authorities, the peoples of this world. This is when every knee bows and every tongue confesses. And the peoples of this world have said, you're God, are you kidding me? I don't believe in your God. Your God doesn't do this, and that's not right. And you say Jesus is the only way, not true. And you say God provides for you. He can't, but look at you, you're going through whatever. And oh, you think you're so good? Well, yeah, look at your life. Look what you've been, how you've been living. You've been messing up all around, and you think you're God, your God can't. And they, the reputation of God today is deplorable. Well, that's going to come to an end. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to bring it all to an end. And before the rulers and authorities and all who have, who have talked about me in such a degrading fashion, I'm going to, in a sense, put the church on an easel, and I'm going to lift the cover. And I'm going to beam like a husband in love like no other man because I'm God. And I'm going to look at my church, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to say, see, I told you so. 
And he is going to, at that moment, he is going to, before the world, justify who he is. He's going to make right all wrong at that moment. Now, we're to pray, thy kingdom come. What we're praying is, God, I look forward for your glory. I look forward to the day that you're going to get to stand before your church made perfect and look at all of your accusers and vindicate your character before the whole of creation. God, come quickly. Jesus, come. I want to see that happen for your glory. That's part of praying, thy kingdom come. Now, there's the next piece of this, which is, I'll put it up, the very next main point here. Three, to effectively hit this second target, we must pray for God's reign to be intensified. Let me just read them. Number one, we pray thy will be done when we pray for God's will to be known. Number two, when we pray for God's will to be believed. Number three, when we pray for God's will to be obeyed. Well, now we're talking about we can pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done when we start praying for Christians that God's kingdom would come in a deeper manner. So you tell me, when you pray for your children, maybe your adult children, how do you pray for them first and foremost? When you pray for your little grandchildren, what do you pray for them first and foremost? Do you pray, oh God, would you make sure that my children have a great marriage? God, would you please make sure that, that my children are made safe and that they don't endanger and they travel well? And is that what consumes us or is the first and foremost thinking of our prayers saying, oh God, your kingdom come in their lives in a deeper way. Yes, they know you, but oh, they need your kingdom. They need to know your word. Help them know your word, but help them to believe, not just to know. And, and Lord, would you have them obey, and not selectively, but to truly be obedient. That's what I want for my children. God, please, would you grant it? And oh, by the way, love for them to have a good marriage too. Lord, love for them to travel well. Love for their business to succeed. Love for them to get their new home. But God, your kingdom come. That's what's most important. Let me conclude. I conclude with one verse, and it's a verse that's very common to many of us. If we've been a Christian a long time, been in the Word very long, we know this verse. It's in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of it. And Jesus has been talking about all the God knows your needs, and he's, got your, he's going to provide for you for your food and clothing and shelter. Everything's going to be taken care of. Even as the birds of the air, he's going to take care of you and so forth and so on. But then he ends it saying this, Matthew 6, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God. Very interesting. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteous, then all these things will be added to you. And here's the point. The point is, is that we should be praying about the kingdom before any other thing. I think that's why he put platform number two prior to platform number three, which is praying for God's provision. That's what we're going to look at next week. But he says, no, 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 don't start praying about provision Start praying about kingdom because you have and you seek his kingdom first. And the truth of it is, 
those other things will take care of themselves. Oh, we'll still pray for provision, but pray in light of his kingdom, and that'll change the way you pray. Now, you've heard a lot about prayer. I want to model it now. I'd like to close our time. I'd like to simply model this portion of prayer as I might be praying at home if I were praying and just asking God in this, on this platform of, uh, of Target. This is how I might pray. So let's bow and join me as I pray, okay? Father in heaven, we know that you care and we know you're capable. And in light of that, we, we pray about things that are important to us. And we've honored your name through singing and all we've done in this service. But we want to spend just a minute here and we want to pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to do that, Lord, we want to pray that, first of all, saying thank you for putting us in your kingdom. And we know we could easily be in that other kingdom, but we're in yours, and we're grateful for that. Sorry, so sorry that we have delighted so much in the kingdom of the world and so little in your kingdom. Forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would allow your kingdom to be extended, that it would be, it would be broader than it's ever been, and that you would bring salvation to people that are important to us. And each one of us now, Father, can think of somebody that we long to see as a child of yours. Grant that, we pray. We pray for the growth of your church. We pray that your church might grow because new people are added to it. And we pray for the programs of this church and all that we're doing collectively as a church called Perimeter, that it might grow and that the kingdom of God would be growing because of it. We pray for the realization of your full redemption of your church. And we pray, Father, for your honor and for the vindication of your, of your character that that day would come soon when you might stand before all with us included and show us off as fully redeemed people. May you, I know you're excited about that day, may you be honored in a particular way that day. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to be intensified. We pray that those that we know that know you, and particularly our children and grandchildren and parents and folks that we love that know you, we pray that they would be serious about your word. Help me to be more serious about your word in my life. All of us pray that, Lord. And we ask that your, uh, your word would not just be known, but would be believed and certainly would be obeyed. And we pray as a result of this that your kingdom would come. And we're going to ask you to use us to see that kingdom come. Grant it, we pray, and thank you for the privilege to pray for your kingdom to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing our song... One last thought. You know, when we pray, thy kingdom come, do you understand that it's not just saying, okay, Lord, your kingdom come, pray, 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 your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Ooh, I don't know if it came or not. Let's keep praying. Any less than we would ever, any more than we would ever stand before God and say, God, give me this day my daily bread. Please give me my bread. Oh, still haven't had lunch. Lord, please give me my bread. Mm, no lunch. No, I'm saying, God, give me the strength. Give me the wisdom to go make money so that I can then buy bread to be able to eat. There's responsibility involved. Folks, when we start praying, thy kingdom come, we can no longer sit on the sideline and say, preacher, go do it. Well, I hope the church does a good job. Hope people come. No, it's saying we got to get on the playing field. 
And God is saying, okay, get equipped, get prepared, get on the field, relate to lost people, mix it up with them, love them, serve them, and watch what God does through your life. I'm going to ask that every person would this year start praying on a daily basis when you pray your kingdom come, you pray this one thing, God, would you use me to see at least one person come into your kingdom? Let's say by the end of the summer. Just put a time. I don't care when. Ask and see what happens. I think that's one prayer. When you wake up in the morning, your eyes are open to the kingdom, and you start praying that, I bet you God answers that prayer. And that's where we see the growth of the church and his kingdom come. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.